So when I was in graduate school um, in Louisville, Kentucky, great, great city, we were, um, a bunch of us little preacher boys had small churches on the weekends. And I mean, when I say small churches, I mean churches of 30, churches of 40, maybe on Easter, 50, that was a big Sunday. And so a bunch of us had churches, and those guys had churches, some of them in, in Kentucky, southern Indiana. Mine was over tight toward Oakland City, toward Princeton area. And so one of my friends was preaching at a church of about 30. His name was Jeff. And Jeff was preaching this, in this church. And this church, every Sunday for 100 years, had recited the Lord's Prayer for 100 years in a row. Well, he said to us, preacher boys, he said, you know what? I decided to shake things up one Sunday morning. He said, I realized that they were just going through the motions. They were kind of like a chant. They were reciting it, but really nobody was praying. So he said on a Sunday morning, impromptu, he said, he decided to say this morning, we're not going to do the Lord's prayer, but we're going to have a prayer time. And so he called on somebody. He said, Bob, if your name's Bob, do not stand up. He said, Bob, he said, stand up. First service, somebody started to stand up named Bob. I kid you not. Anyway, uh, Bob, he said, stand up. He said, Bob, you know, the, uh, the plant had, had an accident this week. Would you pray for the accident at the plant? Jill, Jill, he said, would, would you stand up? And, and Jill, he said, you know, there was a couple people on our bulletin that, that are in the hospital. Jill, would you pray for them? And, and Maggie, would you, would you stand up and would you pray for so-and-so whose daughter is, is in labor? And by the way, and they went to somebody else. And he had four people that morning offer this incredible prayer. And they had, they had, a, they had a prayer time in this little bitty church. Now, after the service was over, a couple comes up to my friend Jeff, and they said, we're not coming back. And he said, did I offend you? They said, yes, you offended us. They've taken prayer out of the schools, and now you've taken it out of the church. <laughs> and, you know, all of us, there were about 10 of us around this round table having this discussion, and we're going, that's what people don't like about church. That's exactly what non-Christians don't like. It's, it's the hypocrisy that takes place within church. And so if you don't like a lot of things that go on in church and you're, you're new to church, and actually you thought you were going to a restaurant, you turned on Marshall Street this morning, and you're really shocked that there's no big food service here, you know, to church. I, I just want you to know, we don't like those things either. And Jesus warns against the hypocrisy. All right, let me back into this sermon this morning just a little different way. Why is it that we don't really like now Tiger Woods, but we're okay with John Daly? John Daly, in the news, in the papers, uh, does some of the very same things we read about that Tiger Woods did, but John Daly is kind of the bad boy of golf, and Tiger Woods claimed to be the squeaky clean guy of golf. Why is it that, oh, that's John, that's just John, but we're so upset with Tiger because Tiger lied to us and we don't like the hypocrisy. Why, why was it that all of us liked Bill Cosby until a few you know, months ago? In fact, Bill Cosby did so much for the family, for the home, trying to teach us through humor how to be better men, how to be better fathers, how to be better husbands. I mean, until, why, why is it that we're upset with Bill Cosby? Because he betrayed us, and we feel betrayed. 
Now, there's a difference, though, between being betrayed and, being, and trying to live up to certain expectations but not being able to do so. The goal is not to dumb down the expectations. The goal is not to ever stop teaching God's plan A. The goal is never to say, well, I can't reach plan A, so I'm going to go to plan B or, pl- or plan C. Now, I'm going to use a Donald Trump story next. Do not read any political issues into this, okay? I'm not for it. I'm not against it. It's just a great illustration of what I want to use. If it doesn't work, I won't use it third hour, okay? This past week, they asked Donald Trump, a reporter asked Donald Trump, they said, Mr. Trump, do you believe in traditional marriage between a man and a woman? He said, oh, yes, I believe in traditional marriage. Well, how come, Mr. Trump, you've been married three times? He said, oh, I believe in it. I just can't live up to it, right? Now, now is, is that the same as Tiger Woods? Is that the same as Bill Cosby? You see, there's a difference. We all struggle. We all wrestle with our ideals. So just because we haven't mastered something, does that mean then that we pull down our ideals? I don't think so. Here's what a hypocrite is not. Let me give you a definition. I think a hypocrite is not a person who falls short of his high ideals or who occasionally sins because we all experience those failures. I mean, we're all a work in progress, aren't we? None of us in this room are the fourth member of the Trinity, right? In fact, we're not even close. We're not even in the top 25. We're still growing, aren't we? But here's what I think Jesus would say a hypocrite is. I think a hypocrite, Jesus would say, is someone who deliberately uses religion to cover up sins. They're pretenders. They mask. They deliberately use religion to cover up sins, and that promotes personal gains. All right, let's say you're brand new to church, and you're not sure if you want to become a Christian or not, but if you do, what do you do next? Or let's say you've been stuck. You are a Christian, but you've been stuck in your faith for the last five years. What do you do? Or let's say that you're doing, I hope this is most of you, you're doing great. You're just, you're rolling in your relationship with God. What, what do you do? Jesus today gives us three exercises And it fits for everybody. If you're not a Christian, you want to say, well, what do I do? These are the three. If you're stuck in your relationship with God, what do you do? These are the three. If you're doing great in your relationship with God, what do you do? These are three, I call them spiritual push-ups. These are three spiritual push-ups that really continue our growth in God. And all three of these can be abused. And you're either using all three of these to enhance your relationship with God, or all three of these are actually deterring your relationship with your heavenly Father. So let's look at these three together. All right, here's the first one, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Well, let's give you the three exercises. Give, pray, and fast. The slide lady is on it. Thank you very much. All right, those are the three exercises. Give, pray, and and fast. Those are the three pieces that Jesus talks about. Let's go to the first one now in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus said, be careful. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, that's a, that's a loaded verse. So circle the word righteousness. What does that mean? Circle the word reward, because we're going to come back and talk about both of these. Look at the next verse. 
So when you give, so here's the first one. And if you'll notice in all three of these exercises, Jesus never says if. I love that. He never says if you give, if you pray, if you fast. Jesus says when. He says when you pray, when you give, when you fast. It's never an if. So Jesus says when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And so apparently in that culture, you went into the synagogue or you went into the temple and you gave gifts, you gave financially, and there might be something like a trumpet-shaped offering basket. And so this trumpet-shaped offering basket, when you threw the money in, it was like, you know, made lots of noise. And Jesus is saying, don't try to toot your own horn. Don't try to make a lot of noise in, in how you give. Another part of this, though, is look at the word synagogue and streets. Some research says that out in the streets and in the synagogue, they actually would give you a horn and you would toot it when someone gave. So you're in the synagogue, and you want to give a little bit of money, and so somebody else is going to stand there by the offering basket, and you give a little bit, it's a little toot, okay? You give a lot, it's a long trumpet blast, baby, and everybody just stops and says, oh, somebody's really giving. Or out on the streets, if you're going to give somebody something on the street, there's a poor person or a homeless person, will work for food, you actually hand them a little bitty trumpet, And when you give them alms, they blow the trumpet, Jesus says, and everybody goes, wow, somebody's, well, look at her. Well, look at him. They're they're giving. And so Jesus is going, you know what? That's not what you want to do. You you don't want to do that. Look at the next verse. But when you give to the needy, you don't have to let your left hand, this is a euphemism, you don't have to let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Verse 4. So that your giving may be in secret. And then your father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. The key here is you're going to be rewarded. You're going to be rewarded by somebody. Do you want to be rewarded by people? So if you do, then give in such a way that everybody knows what you're doing. Or do you want to be rewarded by your heavenly father? That's the decision. That's the tension that everybody in the room has to figure out. Let me tell you what this verse does not mean. Jesus is not saying that you can't ever talk about your giving. He's not saying that you can't ever have a conversation or raise funds or or try to do something to help somebody. He's not saying that. So, So let's say that we've got six high schoolers, I'm just making this up, six high schoolers who can't go on a Christ in Youth conference. We've used all our budgeted money, we've spent all our money, but we're still like six high school students short, they can't go on the trip. And one of my prayer partners comes to me, Charlie, and Charlie comes to me and he says, hey, Kurt, he says, I- I'm going to, there's six high school students that can't go on the trip. I'm going to do two. Will you, will you also do two? Or will you do one or two? I said, you know what? I'll be glad to. I'll be, I'll be glad, I'll be glad to, to do two. Let, let's, let's go to our other buddy, Kent. Let's go to Kent. Let's ask Kent to pick up the other two. And so Charlie and I go to Kent and we say, hey, Charlie's going to do two. I'm going to do two. Kent, Kent would, would, would you do two? So I know what Charlie's given, and, and Kent knows what I'm given and what Charlie's given. And so we, we cover all six of those. And so we're, we're kind of behind the scenes trying to meet a need. Trying to t- that, that's not abusing this passage of Scripture. Because if it is, 
in that scenario. We all know what King David gave to help build the temple. King David gave over $54 billion to the temple. We all know that Barnabas sold a piece of property and he laid it at the apostles' feet. What Jesus is saying is, you're going to be rewarded with your giving. Do you want to do it in such a way that people reward you, or do you want to do it in such a way that your heavenly Father rewards you? That's the choice that you got to make, and I can't make that decision for you. So we go from giving to prayer. Same analogy, same scriptures. Look at the next one. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, if you pray in such a way to impress people, if you pray in such a way to try to use a large vocabulary, if you pray for the benefit of humanity, Jesus is saying, they're going to reward you. Gosh, she's smart. Gosh, he knows a lot of scripture. Man, they're just great people. And this verse convicted me this past week. And I said, Lord, I've done that. I have, done, I have sinned on this verse. I know in 30-some years of ministry, I'm sure in some situations I have prayed trying to impress people. I have. And I'm sure I impressed at least one out of 20 of them. Who knows? But, but, but at the time, that was my reward. That's the only reward I'm going to get. I missed the reward from my father. You see, this is what we don't like about church. This is what, if you're not a church person, this is what you say you don't like about church because it doesn't match up. And that's where the whole hypocrite thing kind of comes into play, and you try to tease that out. So let me give you some examples of this. You've got some old Southern Baptist grandmother who sang in the choir for like 50-some years. And she's bought her own choir robe, and she's there every time the church doors are open. It's a small little white country church. And she has you all over for dinner, and you're eating fried chicken and mashed potatoes and gravy. And all of a sudden, this Southern Baptist grandmother who sings in the choir every Sunday, she starts with some racial slurs. And you're going, this doesn't fit. Let's say you've got a Catholic uncle. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offend everybody for this illustration is over, okay? I can do it. I can offend everybody in the room. You've got a Catholic uncle. And he goes to Mass every Friday night, takes the Eucharist, goes to the confession. But after the confessional, he goes out and does things with people that are just unbelievable. And you're going, how does this fit? How, how does this match up? And it doesn't. You've got a Methodist friend. You're on the 11th tee, and you're teeing off with your Methodist friend. He loves his church and tells you how much he's at his church and loves his church and likes everything about church. But by the 13th hole, he's also bragging how he cheats his employees out of their well-deserved and well-earned bonus. He doesn't even pay his employees rightly. And you're going, how does this fit? It doesn't. You've got an Episcopalian aunt. I told you I could offend everybody. And your Episcopalian aunt, she's a trustee. And the conversation of tithing comes up, and she kind of winks at you, and she says, well, honey, I got access to the books. I don't tithe, I tip. I let the other people take care of that. You're going, you're going that's what I don't like about church. That's what I don't like about some church people. Well, I have great news for you. Either does Jesus. Jesus doesn't like that either. And that's why he says, 
You don't have to be like this when you pray. Look what he says in the next verse. But when you pray, you go into your room, you close the door, and you pray to your Father. Now, again, he's not saying that you can't pray out in the lobby with somebody. He's not saying you can't ever say to somebody, hey, would you pray for me? I'll stop and pray for you. He's not. What he's saying is if you're doing it to be seen of people, you've missed the whole purpose of the relationship with God. And by the way, when you learn to pray, it's always time and place, time and place. If you wait till you get to it, you'll never pray. You'll never pray. Prayer is always a time and it's always a place. It needs to be the same time and it needs to be the same place every single day or you'll never get to it. Look at the next verse. But when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. I watched this at the Wailing Wall this past year in, in Jerusalem. Next verse. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need even before you ask him. And then he goes into the Lord's Prayer. And that's what we've sang, and that's what we've read already today. By the way, the Lord's Prayer is the only thing that they ever asked Jesus to teach them. It's interesting. Of all the things Jesus did, it's the only thing in Scripture that they ever ask him to teach them. Lord, would you teach us, teach us how to pray? Well, when you give, well, when you pray, and the third one is when you fast. Look at this next one. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. Again, Jesus says, when you fast. He says, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. Now, everybody knew the Pharisees fasted every Monday and every Thursday. The Pharisees fasted twice a week. They fasted on Monday. They fasted on Thursday. Now, how did you know if a Pharisee was fasting? He had ashes all over his head. So the Pharisees would wear ashes, and everybody would know when he was fasting. And Jesus is saying, when you fast, you don't have to do it for the show of people. You don't have to do it for, for others. Now, I just want to say that as a church, we're kind of learning how to fast. Uh, two years ago, starting in January, we did a 21-day partial fast. Last January, we did, we did a 10-day fast. This upcoming January, we're going to do a 175-day fast. No, we're not. No, that's a joke, all right? Relax. Some of you are going, man, that's freaking out, that church. I don't know what we're doing yet in January with the fast, but we'll fast again. But what I have learned is, I have learned, you can do a one-day fast, a three-day fast, a ten-day fast, you can do a partial fast. Some of you fasted from coffee, and you told me that you cursed me, you had a three-day headache. One woman said, I'm fasting from vodka. I said, that's a really good idea. <laughs> um, but, but the point is not the food, the point is you're desperate for God to do something great in your life. I wouldn't buy a car without fasting. I would never take a new job without fasting. I would never move from a city to city to state to state without fasting. If you're in a serious relationship, I would never get married without fasting. Okay? So Jesus is saying, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Look at verse 17. But when you fast, why oil? Why, why, we don't have to do this, and, you know. But he's saying, you just you take a shower. 
If you shave every day, you, you, you shave. If you, if you brush your teeth, hopefully every day, you, know, you, you don't act like, you don't act like you're, you're, you're in a morose state. You're trying to help understand that this is not about you. This is about you and your heavenly Father. When you fast, he says, put oil on your head and wash your face, verse, seven, verse 18. So that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now again, This isn't saying that we can't encourage each other to fast together. This isn't saying that you can't ever let anybody know that you're fasting. In fact, I think it's a great thing to to fast with friends and to fast with with coworkers and to fast, you know, with church people or your small group. I think it's a great idea to do that. But the point is, it's, it's not drawing attention to yourself. So why is Jesus against you hypocritically drawing attention to yourself with giving, with prayer, and with fasting? Look at the next slide. Here's why. He wants a special relationship with you. And if you're so worried about the external factors and external forces that you're not going to be dialed into him, Jesus wants you. He wants a connection with you. He he wants this thing between you and him. This is what God wants. God wants to reward you. God wants to be the reward. He doesn't want the reward to be other people. I remember when I first started dating Danita, I was 20, she was 17, and very soon we had this thing together. And now after 34 years, three and a half of dating, 30 of marriage, there's still this thing. That's what God wants with you. He wants this thing with you. He wants to bond with you. He wants there to be chemistry. He doesn't want you to get rewards from the other people. He wants to be the reward, and he wants to reward you. Okay? Let me say that again. He wants to be the reward. He wants to be the reward, not other people being the reward for your life. And so this is something that everybody in the room has to figure out. Am I going to do these three spiritual exercises? Am I going to pray? Am I going to give? And Am I going to fast in a way where I draw attention to myself or I'm going to do it in such a way that I have this connection, this reward with my Father. You see, when, when you give, you're saying to God, I trust you. He likes that. When, when, when you put your trust in him, he's grinning from ear to ear. When, when you say, in prayer, you come and you pray to him. You're saying to God, I want you. You're saying to God, I want you. And that's cool. God loves that. When your heart is saying, I want more of you, God. And when you fast, you're really saying, I need you. I need you to help us with this parenting thing. I need you to help us with this financial thing. I need you in this relationship. Fasting is about, I need you to do something supernatural in my life. And so we we learn to to give and we learn to pray and we we learn to fast. And he's the reward in all of that. He's the best part of all of that. I've told you this before, giving has never been an issue for me since I was 16 years old. I was 16 years old, I painted this house, got paid $1,000. I had 10 $100 bills in my hand. I was a 16-year-old who was rich, baby. I had, I had, 10, I had 10 of those. 
And I went to church that day. We just started coming to church. And I can, the preacher's preaching on tithing. I don't know what tithing is. Of all Sundays for the preacher to preach on tithing when I got 10 $100 bills in my pocket. So I pull out one of them. The offering's coming. I'm not doing it. I'm doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm doing it. I'm not doing it. Stuck it back in my pocket. Offering plate comes by. And I threw it in. And I've never had a problem with tithing since age 16. The most difficult thing I've ever had to learn has been to pray. Prayer has been the most challenging part of my spiritual journey. And I'm your pastor. That's real good to know, isn't it? You're a guest this morning. I told you we should have gone to the Lutheran church. But what helped me the most was time and a place. Time and a place. If you don't have a set time and you don't have a set place, it doesn't matter what the place is, your truck, your office, your break, in the morning, in the, but time and place. You must have a time and a place for that spiritual discipline to grow. And, and I want to encourage you to fast. I got this love-hate relationship with fasting. I love food, okay, and I hate fasting, okay. You really should have gone to Lutheran church this morning, but, but I love what God does through those fasts. I love the supernatural activity. I love the breakthroughs. Danita and I together, we do these fasts together. They could be a partial fast. We might give up desserts. We might give up bread. We might give up whatever. But but during those one day, three day, 10 days, or 21 days, there's incredible spiritual growth. And she and I could testify over and over again to the power of fasting. And so let's learn to give together. Let's learn to pray together. Let's learn, let's learn as a family to fast together and just grow and grow and grow. So I guess what I'm really trying to say today as your friend and as your pastor, I want you to get the reward. I, I want you to get the reward. The rich young ruler had the reward right in his presence. And the rich young ruler asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you've got to keep the commandments. And the guy says, well, I've done all that. And Jesus said, well, if you really want to be good, you've got to, you know, go all in. And the rich young ruler walks away from the reward. Jesus is having dinner at Simon the Pharisee's house. And while they're eating... A woman comes in who obviously had already met Jesus before, and she, he, she'd been forgiven. Jesus had already cleansed her, forgiven her, and she comes in to express her gratitude. And she begins to wet Jesus' feet with her tears. She takes her long jet black hair, falls down. She begins to wash, dry his feet with, with her, her hair. And Simon's going, you know, if you really were the Messiah, you'd know what kind of a woman this is, and this just doesn't match up. And he walked away from the reward. What's what's amazing to me is Jesus offered himself to a guy like Nicodemus, a Pharisee. All the other Pharisees missed the reward, but that Pharisee didn't miss it. And the scriptures teach us that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus came to take Jesus' body off the tomb, and they laid him in, in 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 a beautiful Uh, side of the mountain there and prepared his body for burial. Matthew Levi 
the author of this book that we've just read about 18 verses out of Matthew. Matthew Levi, the author of Matthew, the one who wrote these today. He's a tax collector. And Jesus comes by and he says, come and follow me. And he gets up and he follows Jesus for the rest of his life. He, he went all in. He, he went all in. I don't want you to miss the reward. Oh, I want you to give. I want you to pray. I want you to fast. But the real benefit of all this is your heavenly Father wants to place his hand of favor on you and over you and reward you and bless you. The reward is not look at him or look at her. The reward is you've dialed into that relationship with your heavenly Father, and your heavenly Father and you, there's a connection, there's a bond, there's a chemistry, there's a thing between you and your Heavenly Father. And that's the benefit of all this. So what do you do? I think, I think you start with giving your life to Christ. That's number one. You give your life to Jesus. I think the very second thing you do is you get baptized. August the 9th, we've got more beach baptisms at the Gulf of Mexico. I can probably promise you another lightning storm, okay? But August the 9th, we're going to baptize. So if you've not done that, go sign up at the guest service desk, and we'll baptize you. But these are the three spiritual push-ups. These are the three spiritual exercises that you put into your life. May you learn to give. May you learn to pray. And may you learn to fast. Let's stand. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front. And again, if you've never given your life to Jesus, that's the place to begin. Secondly, go sign up for Christian baptism on August the 9th. Let me close this in prayer. How great you are, Jesus. You are the reward. Help us to give. Help us to pray. Help us to fast to bring you all glory and all honor. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.